Good morning. Thanks for tuning in. This is Pastor Julie Lewis from Asbury United Methodist Church in Smyrna, Delaware, where we share the love of God and the good news of Jesus Christ in all we do. Good morning, it's Pastor Julie, and we are in Genesis 42 in our series of Unbreakable for the story of Joseph, and um, we're just going to read some parts of chapter 42, but I encourage you to read the whole thing. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at one another? I have heard, he said, that there is grain in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. Now Joseph was governor over the land. It was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. But when Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Although Joseph had recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Joseph also remembered the dreams that he had dreamed about them. He said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. But he said to them, No, you have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of a certain man in the land of Canaan, the youngest, however, is now with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to on the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here where you are imprisoned. The rest of you shall go and carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me. Thus your words shall be verified, and you shall not die. And they agreed to do so. They said to one another, Alas, we are paying the penalty for what we did to our brother. We saw his anguish when he pleaded with us, but we would not listen. That is why this anguish has come upon us. Then Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you to not wrong the boy? But you would not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, since he spoke with them through an interpreter. He turned away from them and wept. Then he returned and spoke to them, and he picked out Simeon and had him bound before their eyes. Joseph then gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to return every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. This was done for them. They loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed, and when one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money at the top of his sack. He said to his brothers, My money has been put back. Here it is in my sack. At this they lost heart and turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? The word of God for the people of God. Has anyone ever seen the reality television show called Undercover Boss? It's a show where the owner or boss of a business goes undercover as a regular employee. <clears throat> Usually there are different reasons to do it, like wanting to understand the operations in order to be a better leader, make things more efficient, get a sense if the employees are living up to company standards and things like that. And doesn't our chapter of Joseph's life this morning seem just like that kind of encounter? He knows who his brothers are, but they don't know who he is. 
It's all very cloak and dagger. Joseph seems determined to see what his brothers are made of, what they really think of him and what they did all those years ago. It seems as though he is putting them to the test. You know, the one where you see if someone faced with the same decision will make the same choice. John Wooden, an award-winning basketball coach, is credited with saying the true test of a man's character is what he does when no one is watching. And we all face those moments in our lives, right? We may be driving on a road and come to a stop sign. There's no one coming in any direction. What do we do? We find some money lying on the sidewalk. Do we try to find the owners or is it finders keepers? No one will know, right? Except they do. Even if no other human being knows, God knows and we know. What has been happening with all those brothers all this time? I mean, it's been 20 years since they sold their brother into slavery at this point, and they have been maintaining a lie ever since. But there always comes a moment when we have to face the music, so to speak. Face what we've done or haven't done that wasn't the right choice. Have there been times in your life when you had to face a situation or face someone where you know you were the cause of their grief? What do we do in those moments? Because none of us have lived perfect lives. We harm others even when we don't mean to. And if we're honest, there's times that's exactly what we intend to do. What happens in us when we do something wrong and do nothing to make it right? Lie even to ourselves about what we've done and fail to take a deep, hard look at ourselves. This is the start of that journey for these brothers. They have a lot to say to us today and about taking that deep look inside and facing our past so we can be free to live into our future. Now, for those of you who haven't been listening every week, let's catch you up to how we got to our part of the story today. Joseph is one of 12 sons of Jacob, also known as Israel. He is the favored son. Jacob gives him that special coat. And then Joseph has dreams of his brothers, father and mother, bowing down to him. And this makes the other 10 brothers so jealous and angry, they decide to sell him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. And off he goes to Egypt. In Egypt, he becomes the slave to Potiphar, and God makes him very successful in running Potiphar's household and business affairs. After a rather serious but false charge charge by Potiphar's wife, Joseph is thrown into prison. But God is still with him and makes him successful there, too, in charge of the prisoners. He gets the opportunity to interpret two dreams by two of those prisoners and asks the cupbearer to tell his story to Pharaoh. But the cupbearer forgets until two years later when Pharaoh has these two dreams that no one can interpret. And the cupbearer tells Pharaoh about Joseph, and Joseph is brought out of prison to interpret those dreams. Joseph does interpret them and tells Pharaoh that God is going to give seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine, that he should appoint someone over the land to accumulate grain during the good years to be used during the bad ones. And Pharaoh appoints Joseph to this task and position of authority. Joseph is no longer a slave or a prisoner. He is free and has authority over all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. The last 13 years have been full of suffering, enslavement, injustice, and loneliness. God has been with him every step of the way, making even those tough times work out for good. And here is where we see that good. Joseph has learned humility, has gained infinite wisdom and skills at running a business, and now he has grown compassionate through it all. Having gained a new wife and now two sons, 
Manasseh, which means God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house, and Ephraim, which means God has made me fruitful in the land of my misfortunes, his life is now good. And Joseph recognizes the hand of God at work, understands the gravity of that moment, and he sets about working to save all of Egypt from the coming famine. He has put the past behind him, stepping into his new life of freedom and power. But is that what God really wants for Joseph? To put the past behind him? To literally forget his family and just move on? By what happens next, what we're reading today, I don't think so. You see, God knows we can't just forget the past and move on without some resolution, without healing the wounds of the past. See, we all need to take a good long look and make peace with ourselves and peace with our past before we can move on. So God sets the scene for just that to happen. I can imagine Joseph's face when he realized that the very same brothers who had caused him such harm were standing in front of him. He seems to really have forgotten his family until this moment. And then he realizes that they don't recognize him. Well, Egyptians did dress funny, and even the men wore makeup. And it was 20 years since they had seen him as a 17-year-old. He uses their lack of recognition as a way to see what kind of men they have become since they threw him, their own brother, into a pit and sent him out of their lives. Now, I've read several commentaries on this scene between Joseph and his brothers and the reasoning behind this test is interpreted many ways from straight out revenge to a test spurred on by God for his benefit. Now, I believe there are a couple things at work here. One, Joseph has to be really caught off balance seeing his brothers again. He has seemingly put them, the struggles, and the pain they caused out of his mind and overcome them all. But seeing them has to have brought it all back. Shock, uncertainty, joy, anger, hope, remorse, pain. I can imagine his emotions are all over the place. I remember watching a 2020 episode where a woman abandoned as a child finally gets to see her birth mother who left her by a trash container. And she said the same thing all over the place, angry at what she had done, but happy to be able to talk to her to get the full story. The pain comes bubbling up like a volcano. That's what she said, and it, it makes sense. And maybe that was Joseph in this moment, too. And second, I think Joseph has a need to try to gauge how they would react to knowing it's him. Are they remorseful? Do they feel any guilt for what they've done? Are they the same people they were then? This is where the test comes. It's the test of their character. When they think no one is looking, no one understands what they're saying, when faced with the same choice, would they do the same thing again? So he sets the trap just as before and waits. Will they treat their younger brother, Benjamin, who is now the favorite one, the same way, with jealousy and a desire to put him out of their lives? See, Joseph does a couple of interesting things as he sets this trap. First, he tells them they will all stay in prison, and then only one return to get Benjamin. But then he relents and only makes one stay in prison. Why does he do that? Compassion? Showing that he is not like them at all, that he values the lives of his brothers? But he does have Simeon bound in front of them. 
It is a stark reminder of how they last saw him being led away in chains. He's hoping that will make them reveal how they feel now about what they did, and it really does. They begin to speak to each other about how they are being punished for what they did to Joseph so long ago. Apparently, they have been living with that guilt for years. But I have to say it was very ironic that they tell Joseph that they are all sons of one man. They didn't know how true that statement was with Joseph in the room. It is also interesting to note that they did, they defend themselves by saying what honest men they are. Really? For 20 years, they've been keeping a secret, lying to their father about the truth of what happened to Joseph. Honest? Maybe not. So this is what Joseph latches onto in his test. If you are really honest men, then this is what you will do to prove it. Will they truly turn out to be honest men? But we won't have the answer yet. Stay with us the next two weeks and we'll have that answer. But in the meantime, Joseph holds Simeon in prison. And even though he is treated way better than Joseph was when he was in prison, and then gives all the brothers their money back in their grain and gives them provisions to go home. Very generous indeed. When one of them finds the money in his sack, he is terrified, knowing that he could be accused of stealing, and asks the big question for this part of the story. What is this that God has done to us? What is God doing? That's a great question. And I think that for Joseph, God is helping him remember his family, deal with the pain and suffering that he has long buried inside of him, and revealing that the true interpretation of his first dreams was not of domination over his brothers, but that he would be the source of their deliverance. The dreams were to let Joseph and his brothers know that at some point, Joseph would be the one who would give them life. If they had received the dreams that way, things would be very different. Maybe they would have figured out how to work together and be the brothers, the family that they were made to be. See, and God is helping the brothers in this moment face their past sins and begin to heal them too. In this life, we can't move on until we are reconciled to ourselves and to those we have harmed or who have harmed us. Remember that those brothers are destined to be the leaders of the tribes of Israel who would form the people of God known as the Israelites, the ones foretold and promised by God to Abraham to be a light to the nations. They have work to do to become the leaders they are called to be, men of integrity and compassion, people who can be followed and looked up to as the Israelites will be the representatives of God on the earth. There isn't any human being that lived, ever lived a perfect life. We've all made mistakes, done things that were wrong, that we might even be ashamed of, but God calls us to something better. There is a word in Hebrew that summarizes what I think God is doing here, teshuva. Literally, it means return, meaning a return to God. And in our Bibles, it is usually re translated repentance. To repent is to turn around or return to the right path. And this is what God is working to achieve in all of our brothers in this part of the story. Joseph has played a part in all of this too. They all need 
teshuva. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. See, we can't really step into our future if we are hanging on to the baggage of past hurts. Those sins, those wrong things we can do, we do, can teach us a lot if we're willing to learn and grow. And this is the opportunity God is giving all of them now. This is what God is doing. True teshuva occurs when a person is confronted with the opportunity to commit the same transgression, make the same decision, and they refrain from doing so. In other words, we all mess up, but repentance means we find ways to make the wrong right. Apologize, seek forgiveness, and are reconciled to one another. But it doesn't stop there. It also means when faced with the same choice, we make a different one because we have learned what is right and have the wisdom and strength to do it. The brothers got grain from their brother. We're, giving, we're given the opportunity for life. But they also received it without any cost. They got back what they had given, even though they had failed their brother, caused him great suffering. And this is true for each one of us. We all sin. We all cause harm to other people, to our planet, to ourselves, and we do not get what we deserve. Jesus knew our sins, the many ways we harm our relationship with God and each other throughout our lives. Yet God, Jesus himself gave his life to pay the price. He gives us this grace, which means getting what we don't deserve. This opportunity to have new life, and it doesn't cost us anything. Yet we won't be able to fully receive it until we face what we have done, repent of our sins, and claim his incredible gift through faith. Now I'm giving each of you a little bag of grain with a coin in it today. When you look at it, remember the past. All the things that we could have done differently and didn't. The pain or hurt we have caused, whether we meant to or not. And even if there is any way to do it, be reconciled. Ask forgiveness and find a way to make it right. And even if that's not possible at this point, we can all make it right with God and with ourselves by confessing our sins and receiving the forgiveness Christ himself has offered us. See the grain as a gift of life. the gift that God has given us through faith in Christ. Then look at the coin and remember the grace of God that it didn't cost us anything. We all need to face the music at some point, whether in this life or the next, but through our unbreakable faith, we can stand strong, knowing that God's unbreakable love erases it all and helps us move with hope and joy into our future. So may we all find Teshuvah, by facing the music 
so that in our souls we will have shalom, the peace that passes all understanding. So peace to us all, my brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.